Welcome to Sunday service. Special welcome to all our guests here at the Expanding Light Retreat, as well as at the Meditation Retreat. My name is Naiswami Pranaba, and this is Naiswami Parvati. I'd like to read to you from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, which has commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's topic is Perfection is Self-Transcendence. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. We begin this week with a passage from the Gospel of St. Matthew in chapter 5. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute, persecute you. If we love them which love you, if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the tax collectors the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what ye more than others? Do not even pagans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This teaching is a continuation of last week's lesson. To love all equally is possible only by seeing God everywhere, in others as well as in oneself. See whatever comes to you unasked for as a manifestation of His will. Be grateful for the pains you experience, for they are healing strokes of His love. Sometimes healing is affected only by strong measures, but His love for you is manifested in the very attempt to heal. Strive always to be impersonal, as though whatever happens to you were happening to someone else. Persecution gives us the supreme opportunity to deny the thought, this is happening to me, and to affirm our inner freedom from the thought of ego. Don't allow the negative perceptions of others to become your own self-definition. Seek God. This is the true goal of life, though how difficult to cling to it in the midst of the hatred, spite, and persecution. The Bhagavad Gita tells us in the seventh chapter, out of thousands, one strives for spiritual attainment, and out of many blessed, true seekers who strive assiduously to reach me, one perhaps perceives me as I am. O oh, truth seeker, be one among all those thousands who seeks the supreme goal. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Great, thank you. I also would like to welcome you and I'll start by reading from Whispers from Eternity. I want to hear thy song in the silence of my soul. Thy gentle voice saying, come home, I often heard, but through many lives it was drowned in the tumult of my wild cravings. 
I have forsaken the jostling crowds of desire. In the solitude of my mind, my devotion bursts to hear thy voice. Take away every dream memory of earthly sounds that yet lurks in my mind. I want to hear thy still voice ever ringing in the silence of my soul. So, the way to perfection is narrow and steep. The bypaths are many, the pitfalls are deep. <laughs> By theory alone, many think to arrive. There's one who could help them if he were alive. <laughs> and I am not going to sing the rest of that song. But I just, it kept going through my mind. The way to perfection is narrow and steep. So in this topic today, it's a continuation of last week's topic, but it is certainly a very strong command. <laughs> be, that, be ye therefore, therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's not a saying, it's not a suggestion, it's a command to all of us. And talking to all of us and those en uh, enjoying the service online, I'm assuming we're all devotees, disciples, Kriyabans, not all of us, but, but a large majority. And therefore, Christ, out of the uh, New Testament, is speaking to us. And he's saying, you need to do these things. And yet, I don't know how you are, but when I read that, I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Love those who hate you? How do you do each of those things, the people that persecute, that hate, that torment, that whatever, are very negative in darkness? How do we deal with this? Well, one thing I want to say first of all, now this is a command to each of us individually and those of a, of a group, but we're in good company. I can't think of any saint or true organization of light who hasn't been persecuted. It's just how it works. And uh, I remember years ago, one of our communities was facing persecution, and it was fairly intense. And one of the people there said, but, but we're good people, we're doing a good thing. Why is this happening to us? And I thought, well, that's why. <laughs> because we live in a world of duality. And we cannot get out of that until we get out of it. And the only way out is up and union with the divine. And so where there is light, where there is a temple of light, where there is a community of light, there also will attract darkness and tests. And these, again, as the reading said, these are not a bad thing. They really aren't. If we want to know God, and for many of us here, we're on a path of self-realization, which means we want that. We want that union with the divine, and we want to be one with that, letting go of the ego. And uh, to be able to do that, that's heroic. That's why the affirmation this morning is on courage. 
because it's not an easy thing to do. It's very, it's, it challenges us to the very depths of who we think we are at present, the ego. It, the ego, it said, is the soul identified with the body. And so as long as we are identified in that way, we, we find ourselves challenged. Because when that kind of energy of darkness, of persecution, of negativity comes at us, it's shocking. But we need to be prepared for that. We need to know how to deal with it. And when you look back in history, I look at saints that I've read about. Saint Francis, absolutely, he had a lot of troubles in his life. And more recently, I've been reading about Teresa of Avila, who lived in the 15th century, actually the 16th century, 1500s, in Spain, right at the time when the Inquisition was happening. So it was a very interesting time for those who were not just um, habitual in their uh, practices and just good, good people going to mass and uh, church and whatever, but for those who had mystical experiences, true mystical experiences, it was an incredibly delicate and dangerous time because the Inquisition was after people that looked like that but weren't really true to that. There was a lot during that time, Spain in the 1500s, there was a lot of emotionalism and there was a lot of uh, confusion about what was real and what wasn't. People saying they had visions when they really didn't, it was just an emotional expression, that kind of thing. And so, um, Teresa Vavila, who got through that and became actually recognized later as a doctor of the church. She's the only woman, I believe, maybe there's another one, who is a doctor of the church because, because she was so true to the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's just that she had direct experience of Jesus Christ. She had many visions, many um, experiences. She levitated, all that kind of thing, in the midst of, of the Inquisition happening. So it was a very, very delicate time in that way. And I talk about her because uh, Yogananda not only told a story about her, but he also referred to her as in our line. And I think it's because I've always thought of her vibration as uh, very similar to ours, but also she had the direct experience of, of God and of Jesus Christ. So the story that Yogananda liked to tell about her, which you, many of you have heard before, but it kind of fits in with what we're talking about this morning, and that is that, and just to fill in a little bit, Teresa of Avila lived a somewhat normal life as a nun for about 20 years or so. She had a lot of physical problems and she was starting to have visions and all of that. And then um, at a certain point, she gained enough clarity and stability in herself and in her deep inward spiritual life that she got the direction from Jesus to go out and found a new order of monastics, nuns first and then monks later. And uh, so in her life, in her probably mid-50s, 
is when she started going out and traveling on the roads of Spain at that time in a little cart or on horseback in all kinds of weather. And she went all over Spain. There are convents and monasteries that were established everywhere during her lifetime. So fast forward, she did that for a number of decades and faced a lot of persecution in doing that. Again, it was like in the time of St. Francis, a new expression of monasticism was starting, was trying to be born. And interestingly enough, it kind of is similar in vibration to what we have here at Ananda in the way of a community and how we look at spirituality. It was very simple, we would say primitive, but at the time, simple living, but high thinking and deep spirituality that was grounded in common sense and deep inner communion, so deep prayer. And in fact, in the monasteries that Teresa of Avila founded, uh, which she said she would have no more than 13 to 16 women living together, because less than that made it too personal, more, that, more than that made it too impersonal. And so she founded that, but she also said the one thing that she looked for in the people that were coming in was common sense, not devotion. She said devotion can be learned, but common sense can't be learned. <laughs> yeah, you really have to have that. And so, uh, but the story fast forwarding to, to when she was in her 70s, I believe, it was toward the end of her life, is that she was out, again, on the road, old, infirm, but doing the will of Jesus, going to another place, I forget where, to found yet another uh, monastery. And so on the way there, that winter, there had been great torrential rains, and uh, all the rivers were swollen. And so they came to a river. She traveled with a few of the other nuns, and they came to a river, and it was just in full flood. And she said, oh, I'm going across, and I'll go first. If I don't make it, then you all don't need to come. <laughs> so she was either in, a, in a, a cart or on horseback, and she got uh, swept away, but ended up on the other side of the river, which is where she wanted to go. And then, and then at that point, here she is soaked, all of that, um, Jesus appeared to her. And she just looked at him and she said, all of this and now this as well, you know, all that I've done and now this as well, falling off in the water. And Christ looked at her and he said, Teresa, this is how I treat all my friends. <laughs> and she said, as we know, well, Lord, that's why you have so few, <laughs> which ties right into what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita about one in a thousand seeks me, one in those that seek me really knows me as I am. But that is also to say that is our destiny as a soul, is to know God as he is, one with God, union with that divine. And so how do we get from where we are to that? How do we, how do we deal with, in the best way possible, negativity and even persecution? And, and Ananda has experienced that. So luckily we have a little practice at that. But um, 
but it's something where we really want to uh, be active in our, in our spiritual life. That's the most important thing, of course. But then after that, we need to be able to focus in the right way and understand what's going on. Basically, uh, we cannot uh, love our, those who hate us without the grace of God. It's just not possible. If we're coming from the ego, we don't have the ability to transcend and really with, with heart, with uh, sincerity, love those who hate us. We just simply don't have it. And that's why you read those and think, oh my God, how could I ever do that? Well, I can't do that. It has to be that we're working on transmuting and transcending the ego. And if that isn't happening, then that persecution will just simply feel like persecution and we won't be able to deal with it in a very good way. And so in our spiritual lives, we want to really keep that in mind that along with all the other qualities that we're developing of devotion and concentration and, and all of that, we really also need to be building the strength and the ability to loosen the grip of the ego that it has on us. We, we must move in that direction. Swami Kriyananda said the ego's seat is and Yogananda at the, at the Madala Aplangata. And it goes through the brain, it travels through the brain on its road to freedom to the point between the eyebrows. And Swami Kriyananda one time said, he said, I can tell by looking at people where they're at in that, that progression. So in other words, it doesn't, the ego, if you're working on yourself spiritually, it will be moving. You will feel a certain level of freedom from those reactions. Because that's basically what happens. If somebody comes to you and is full of hatred and just puts that out to you, and you react in the same way, you're just increasing that. It's a, it's a reaction rather than an action. And so the only way to be able to act is by moving along that progression of loosening up the grip of the ego. The ego will not ever like hatred, persecution, you know, whatever it is, the ego will want to react. But the soul will see things in a broader way, a much broader way, because the soul knows in deep within us that we're part of all that is. We're, we're one with every person and with every atom of creation. And so what we're trying to get at is to have that direct experience because that, again, is what will enable us to be free and enable us to deal with whatever comes our way of negativity, of unusual karmic things that happen, whatever it might be, it will enable us to know what to do. And it's, it's an in, intuitive thing in that uh, you need to go to your heart and be centered there. When we uh, first experienced a little persecution at Ananda, um, it was when we decided the happy thought that we thought might be fun to be a city. 
And so we went, we started the process of, of how you do that, and legally with the county and all that. We thought it might help to, uh, for the community. And our neighbors just thought that was a really, really bad idea. <laughs> very bad, and they reacted. Boom, boom, boom. La, you know, in very strong ways. So we'd have these meetings in town, these LAFCO hearings, and, and our neighbors would be there just, you know, we just thought it was a good idea. You know, we weren't, uh, you know, uh, trying to do something bad, but they were really upset that we were doing this. And so after a couple of meetings, someone asked Swami Kriyananda, they said, so what should we do in response to that? And he said, first of all, bring all of your energy into the heart and be centered there. And he said, from that heart center, send out light to those people and to the whole room. And really feel that, that it's a sincere offering, but, but it's God's light. It's not your light. It's that divine light coming through you, and you're sending it out. He said two things will happen. One, that light will act as a protection against negativity. And it will also uh, go into people who are receptive to it. Some people may just be agitated or emotional. Other people may be very negative. So some people may be open to light and, and your expression of that. And so anyway, it was, it was a very helpful thing that we all used and uh, uh, just got through that time. And we didn't become a city. It didn't ever happen. <laughs> but, um, um, but, uh, but it's important that we understand uh, that it's not our ability to do this. We, we can't do it. We have to be communing inwardly with the divine, and we have to draw the grace of God that allows us to deal with situations that are very negative and, and uh, uh, just pulling, uh, pulling down. And I was thinking, you know, the spiritual path, we talk about it, you know, and the Gita talks about it as a battlefield and all of that. And I thought, you know, why don't we think of it as the spiritual Olympics? And think about that, that the Olympics, it's one lifetime. So the Olympics happen, the, the actual event where you're going to get the tens, the perfection, at the end of life. And so between now and then, we're in training. And we're just training like crazy. I mean, think about it. What do athletes do their entire lives if they're involved in the Olympics? They, they just train. And so I thought, maybe if we look at it like that, it'd make more sense. And so it'd be fun to just think about our whole spiritual life and the immersion in it, which is a lot more fun and enjoyable and uplifting and freeing and liberating than the physical Olympics will ever be, but that that's what we're really doing in this lifetime, and that we're training, we're training, and we're offering, and we're, we're getting better. And, you know, I remember early on when the gymnastics part of Olympics was really uh, coming forward a lot more, and this one very young girl, 14 years old, the first one to ever get tens, perfection, in all of her events. And it was just stunning. It was amazing to watch her. But then 
I saw an interview with her about 20 or 30 years later, and she had had after that a very, very difficult life. All that effort, all that energy really didn't bring anything to her life. And so for us, if we think about we're involved in the spiritual Olympics, each lifetime we have, that we want to give it our all. We really want to do everything we can to be uh, attuned to that divine and really to bring that into our lives. Um, I was remembering that that the, uh, um, the path also just really, um, as we go along, you know, thinking about that image of spiritual Olympics, I, I also thought, but it has to be enjoyable. And we have to create a rhythm in our lives that allows us to continue on, and yet we are able to understand how to relax as we go and how to move along. And it'll give us more energy to do that. It will renew our energy as we go along to do that. And then we find that we come to the places where the intensity is very, very strong. And there's no way around it. It's just something we have to deal with, either either personally or beyond that in, uh, uh, in a group way. But it gives us the ability to, um, because we've done the, the training before, because we've got the grounding, like a Teresa of Avila, who at the age of 55 went out and traveled all over Spain, we're able to take that grounding and that energy and move with it in ways that we didn't think were possible, we didn't think we could do. But we have the energy, we have the understanding, And we really know that it has to come not just from us. And so that grace of God, I always love one of Yogananda's um, uh, talks. In it, he's talking about the grace of God. And then he says, we all live by the grace of God. We all, all do. And so for us just to keep that uppermost in our minds as we live each day and as we prepare for whatever the next day may bring, whatever God may have in mind for us. If we ask for uh, spiritual liberation and we really want to be one with the divine, then they say, okay, you know, give me your heart and I will give myself to you and then you'll, we'll work with you, you know, and we'll, we'll uh, send you things. I'll send you things, the guru does, God does, to really make that, that perfection possible. And then you find, and again, I was thinking recently about Yogananda using that phrase, the, the ability to stand unshaken amidst the crash of breaking worlds. And I thought, that's for our time. <laughs> I think he said, I don't remember other people saying that. Teresa Valdez said, said simply, everything will pass. But Yogananda said to be able to stand unshaken amidst the crash of breaking worlds. And I think that's a good goal to have in mind, to be able to do that, and to just feel that, that love of God, that centeredness, that bliss, 
inwardly and to know that that, as the affirmation and the reading said, that's, that's our protection. That's what really will get us through whatever comes our way. And, and also, finally, just to say, you know, when things get really crazy, remember, this isn't our world. This is a dream of God. It's His world. And so we're trying to do the best we can to play our part. And so we'll, we'll do that. But, uh, but remember, we can't solve it all. We can't make it all okay. It, it's God's dream. And it will go on for a long, long time in duality. And so for us, our main thing to remember is we want freedom. You know, we want to be out of this uh, duality, which just never ends, never ends, and the light and dark that goes with that. And so keep that in mind, because it, again, it, it just, you can feel a certain feeling of relaxation when you realize, oh, I'm not in charge. It's God's world, and it's Master who's helping me to move toward liberation and be out of this world of duality. I've heard your flute high on a cloud Your call I can't resist Oh, let me come and play with you We'll scatter music with the In every flower and 
street. 